Check the program. 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 Welcome to Check the Program, a kitchen table podcast of four sometimes journalists who saw a need for arts coverage in our city and decided to do something about it. I'm Melanie Trump Hoover. I'm Amanda Farrell Lowe. I'm Brianna Bach. I'm John Thrillhole. I'm Sarah Petrescu. And welcome to the show. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, the Ministry of Grace at the Belfry, Comic Potential at the Phoenix, uh, the Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime at Theatre in Kanun, and we're going to touch on some of what happened at Outstages at Intrepid Theatre, and we'll talk a little bit about the new Kit Pivot show that Dance Victoria just presented. But before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge that Victoria occupies the traditional territories of the Lekwungen and Coast Salish peoples including what is now known as the Esquimalt and Songhees First Nations. As settler people, we have the privilege to live, work, and create on these lands, and much of the art we are discussing has also been created and performed here. So the first show we're going to chat about is one that all five of us, since Brianne is here tonight, uh, had the privilege of seeing, and that is the Ministry of Grace at the Belfry. And I think... We all like the show, right? Yeah, I think yeah. it's pretty great. We all saw it for mm-hmm. being a world premiere. That's a pretty great way to start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so Ministry of Grace, a new play, which pre- it premiered um, at Belfry by director-playwright Tara Began. Um, it's, yeah, just a beautiful story um, about um, Indigenous family histories um, inspired from her own family history, learning about her grandmother who um, had uh, children her children were taken to residential school and during that time like many indigenous people she went to be a laborer in the united states and um and in the play she um ends up working for um, an evangelist who is quite a character and sees in her an opportunity because she is very well-spoken and educated and eloquent to kind of exploit this um, and have her um, read biblical passages and he sort of uses her as like a, a person saved or, um, and, uh, and is able to benefit off of it. So yeah, that's kind of the, the I won't give the whole plot away, but <laughs> that, that's sort of where we kick off. And um, it's just a fascinating, Story beautifully written. I thought it was a wonderful yeah. script. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, some excellent characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some really great. Only a four-hander, but uh, I felt like the cast felt bigger in this mm-hmm. show than four people. And mm-hmm. I guess it's just because the characters were so rich. Yeah. And I think the set, too, because oh. the set had the sort of vintage trailers and truck right on stage. And they used the big um, tents. And the lighting was just incredible. Um, the set and lighting by Andy Morrow was just incredible that mm-hmm. it really filled the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah. and I think my favorite part of this show, not to discredit the excellent performances in, in this show, mm-hmm. Andy Morrow's set and lighting were incredible, especially the use of the curtains and the tents mm-hmm. that every se- single scene change was different. Yep. The way they would transform from backstage of the tent to the front stage of the tent and then they'd open up into the night sky 
and oh they were just incredible yeah. i just i just mm -hmm. loved it it's a great example like we all see a lot of shows and there's a lot of shows where it's like scene change after scene change after blackout after blackout and here was a great <laughs> example where we had like what six distinct different settings over yes. the course of the show yeah. where, where they're all so elegantly yeah. and simply done you know like a sliding in fence suddenly you're in a different space and the curtains are used differently you're in a different space and I, mm -hmm. I really love the design package on this show especially um allison lynch's sound design too i thought it was really delicate and really quite yeah. beautiful what did you guys think of the pacing? I know that's been some feedback uh, that the first act is a little bit longer, plods a little bit, bit more cerebral about relationships, and then the second act is jam-packed with a lot of a lot of drama. Yeah, it's a little unbalanced just because of that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the first act was longer, is a little bit slower in getting to know the characters. Um, and um, and the act, there wasn't as much action and, and plot sort of points but um and then yeah the second act is like whoa mm -hmm. um i like this pacing i, I, did. I, I yeah. did like the uh, the slow first act i mm -hmm. felt there's a lot of world building that was happening yes. mm -hmm. a lot of character building that was happening and then yeah things had to come to some sort of resolution in the second act but i really like the fact that they didn't wrap it all up with a bow mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. when those characters left the stage their stories were still continuing and you and the audience were left thinking Ooh, what's going to happen to her? Mm -hmm. What's going to happen to him? Where does the story go next? And I yeah. could really see this as being the first of a trilogy. You know, there's a lot of play series that are out there, and I could see this being the first of a trilogy where we follow Mary's character and find out what happens to her, or we follow mm -hmm. Clem's character, or we bounce back into Canada and we find out about Mary's children, what's happening to them mm -hmm. while this is going on. Yeah. I think there's a really rich world here that could be mined for further material. Yeah. I did feel like the end ha happened a little too fast, though. Mm -hmm. Like Yeah, that was the it impact. Was, it felt slightly abrupt. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it was like this very slow first act, and then it speeds up a bit in the second act, and then all of a sudden it's mm -hmm. over. Like it just ended so abruptly. But there were some like standout performances in it. Um, PJ Prudat, who mm. played Mary, um, was excellent throughout. Very measured mm -hmm. and um, yeah, just really I think did the role justice mm -hmm. in her approach. And um, and Stafford Perry, who played the preacher brother Kane, had I thought the best dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was terrible but riveting, mm -hmm. and he yeah. had some of the best dialogue in the in the play. I thought. And what you say about terrible that for me is the one almost tone shift I guess between Act One and Two because I thought he he's the bad guy. You know, he's the bad guy from the beginning, and it but it's more nuanced. Like you're not quite. Um, you're interested in what's kind of behind his motivations a little bit. And then in this rapid fire second half, which I, you know, the plot points warranted, he kind of goes capital E evil. Yeah. And yeah. we talked about this when we were talking, um, reviewing kiss, kiss, bang, bang, that he kind of becomes almost a caricature yeah. of what exactly what you expect that preacher evangelical character to be. So that would be my one. I, I agree. Strong characters, but yeah. it just felt like a tone. We're going to hammer you over the head with how bad this guy is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but he had some really uh, interesting back and forth with Mary's character. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, just like the, their dynamic was like constantly changing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's like, a lot of sparring mm -hmm. in the show, mm -hmm. physically and verbally. Mm -hmm. It was interesting. Yeah. And but you're right, there's moments there where he almost seemed to be certainly intimidated by, if not downright frightened by her, mm -hmm. like what she could do and that mysterious mm -hmm. unknown that, you know, I think for her represented, you know, both. Uh, a strong, true sense of faith and a connection with the land that mm -hmm. he was just faking. 
Mm-hmm. And I think you're right that uh, there was lots of stuff going on between the two of them. Yeah, although and uh, I did the thing that I one thing I didn't like about Mary's character was that like kind of uh, that heat that like I've talked about this before that like her that kind of like metaphysical healing that mm. they hinted at the magical the magical stuff. part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I either wanted more of that and elsewhere in the show or I didn't want it at all because it was only because there was so much about her character that was like more rooted in reality and I just okay. I, I just didn't really magical realism not your jam well I love magical <laughs> realism I love yeah. it but that was the only part of the show that where it was right no, and, and I just felt like yeah, yeah well you know as probably the only magical practitioner at the table I'm gonna take the <laughs> pagan attitude and say I really like that yeah. and I didn't find that a reach at all yeah uh, I didn't find that anything other than oh look something that I'm familiar with is being represented on stage yeah. which for me I never see you know right. you see anything in this small p pagan practice on stage you're looking at something like the crucible yeah right to see that kind of uh, you know that kind of personal healing potential uh, represented in even a small way on stage. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I don't so, know. interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Sheldon Elters. Oh, he's oh. always so great. Uh, back yeah. on stage after Bears. And it was a thrill to see him back on stage. And mm-hmm. he, he has such a huge presence, but a small... Uh, I guess the ability to seem really small on stage until he, mm-hmm. you know, until he has to puff up and be bigger. Uh, I really loved watching him work in the mm-hmm. show. Yeah, he was very vulnerable in this role, mm-hmm. um, but then yeah, also powerful mm-hmm. um, physically and and uh, yeah, as a character. So yeah, he's. I hope he comes back for more. Bit of trivia: He's in a uh, ukulele cover band. What? Hey. <laughs> if you check the program, you'll see that. <laughs> amazing. My uh, that. Nice uh, my friend I brought to the show, she was like, he's so great, I want to see him in more stuff. So then we uh, went online and found a bunch of APTN series that you can oh, yeah. stream online that we can watch him oh, in. So she's gonna, like, great, oh, I can watch more of him. When an actor gets a Victoria fan club, yeah. Yeah. it becomes a thing. There's yeah. a few. <laughs> like... But overall, yeah, a great show. And uh, yeah, this is what, her 40th play or something? Oh, wow. Tara Began's 40th wow. play. Wow. So. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I hope that Belfry audiences appreciate it, and, and yeah. I think the reception's been good. So, mm-hmm. yeah, kudos yeah. to the Belfry for yeah. uplifting uh, voices and um, and for premiering a new play. And, Great. Uh, and I'll say for their continuing commitment to Indigenous, Indigenous theater too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is not the first thing they've done. They've uh, proven that uh, you know over the years they've. Uh, started putting an Indigenous play in every season, mm-hmm. and they're working with Indigenous actors and playwrights to move the art form forward, and I think that's fantastic. And not yeah. just Indigenous actors and playwrights, like, there was a lot of the creative team that was Indigenous. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Agreed. So, Agreed. Um, yeah, it's a great show. Yeah. So, and it runs until... It runs until March 1st, yeah. Minister Grace. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else that's still on that we can talk about? That's still on. Well, uh, Brandon and I both saw Comic Potential up at the Phoenix... What do you, uh, what'd you think of that? Well, um, I guess to start, I think this was a really good example of a very slow first half and, uh, and a lot of action in the second half because there's just, you know, um, I'm, I'm not familiar with the playwright, Alan... Alan Ackborn? Yeah, I'm not familiar with his stuff. Uh, apparently his blurb says that he's a big deal in Britain. He's one of the most produced uh, playwrights in Britain. I think most recently in town we've seen a production of his Chorus of Disapproval mm-hmm. uh, down at Langham maybe last year, maybe two years ago. Um, he does a lot of these sort of, um, uh, well, he does a lot of comedies, period. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
No, there, there's definitely some good stuff, um, especially in the second half because they're just they're running around uh, throughout throughout the town, mm. and there's a lot of great scene transitions. Yes. Just just the sets. I mean, the Phoenix blows it out of the water with their sets like uh, all the time, consistently. Yeah. So just by way of setup, it's uh, sort of a sci-fi um, comedy yeah. drama dramedy. Well, no, not a dramedy because it's more comedy first. Um, there's like a touch of dramedy at the end. Yeah, set in some. Uh, far not too far distant future where actors have been replaced by androids called actoids on stage and uh, most of television is uh, done through control panel with still having a director but uh, having the actoids controlled uh, and one of these actoids jc uh it's such an ugly word life. sorry actoid. Actoid. oh i know which is i think the point um jc comes to life and it suddenly it appears that she has uh, cognitive thought and a sense of humor and she's new and different uh enter um our uh, male romantic lead. I guess you would say he's sort of the the romantic lead in this. Um, yeah. They do have... Um, Adam. Yeah, Adam Trainsmith played yeah. by Siren Volk, uh, who we last saw at the Phoenix in Othello playing Iago. Yeah, oh, um, it was great as Iago. So he comes on the scene, starts writing for her, and then they fall in love and they go on the run. So mm. take her away from the studio and, so is uh, this Blade Runner? Well, <laughs> it has elements of that in it, sort of. But then it's also at the same time, I don't know if this struck you or not, but it's got a strange sort of vaudevillian hook to it as yeah. well. There's lots of reference to silent film and silent film uh, comedy motifs like double takes and pies in the face and things like that. And the director of the uh, the show within a show that we're watching, um, he, he is presented to the audience as being... Uh, an old man director, sort of in the uh -huh. twilight of his years. Um, curiously, though, he's played as a sort of 30-ish Steve Buscemi-looking character. Uh, even though he right out says at one point, I'm an old man, and I remember when... And it's like, well, you're so not, is, not an is old it man. like Logan's run then? I don't know. <laughs> no, but he's the human character. That's the thing. And it's like, really? And then they have somebody else come on stage who's so supposed to be an old man who looks like an old man. So that, in the wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of confused me. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, I, no, I Comedy just... set up. Uh, loves, you know, star-crossed lovers. One's a robot. One's uh -huh. a human. What's a guy to do? Um, <laughs> I mean, can we, can we just go back to the old man character? Please I just, do. I just... <laughs> I, no, in the wheelchair, I just love the bit where it's just like someone's talking for him, and he's just kind of like what? moving his head and hands. Yeah, it's it, there's some funny stuff in it. Yeah. But I find I've seen a few Alan Ackborn plays over the years, and I always find like give me a give me a sifter, and I'll sift out like the ninety minutes of it that's really great. How long is it? Ninety hour. minutes. It's, it's two and a half yeah. hours oh with a bit of an intermission. Yep. So. I mean, opening night, 8 o'clock, I got out of there, I think it was 10 to 11. Okay, yeah. so Phoenix still starts shows at 8 o'clock? They do. Did yeah. they, wouldn't... Oh. You, you think, yeah. uh, with, like, being on a university, they would do it earlier? Apparently, there's an issue with start times, because, um, when Classes. class is finished for yeah. the day, oh, okay. that conflicts with an earlier start time, right. the students have to it leave would. X amount of time before the curtain. Oh, okay. So, so it does, yeah, 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 so yeah. it did get complicated. Oh, okay. That's whatever. I was like, yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, every other theater company, like, six years ago got the memo that, like, 8 o'clock is too late. And oh, so I think late. everywhere else starts at 7.30 now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, Conrad Alexanderich is the director of this piece, uh, theater prof up there. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he always does um, shows that have definitely some sort of social commentary in it. Um, it's the kind of thing he, he likes tackling. 
Uh, what did you think of how we worked with the cast here? Listen, um, no, I especially liked uh, JC, Yuna yes. Rechik. Yep. Yeah. No, she, um, especially in the scene where it's just like, she gets a moment where she has to confront, like, I'm a robot, I'm built to please somebody, and my boyfriend's saying, be, just be yourself and I'll be fine with that. And then she gets confronted by a prostitute, basically, saying, like, uh, men just only want one thing. And she sort of has to say, like, oh, what does this actually mean? And I thought that scene was really well done. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a way that I hadn't seen before in, like, robot characters, where it's just like, no, we're in love, but it's just like, I'm, I'm a robot. This is just what we do. Yeah. It's, it's certainly, I've found, the, uh, the most interesting thing about the show was uh, JC with the androids, uh, yeah. her own development as into, you know, essentially a person by the end of the show. Um, kind of a Pinocchio vibe too. There's a lot of things <laughs> yeah. happening. It's one of those shows. It's like, oh, there's a bit of this and a bit of this and a bit right. of this yeah, and yeah. a bit of this. But I think it was written. Uh, oh, it was originally produced in 2000. So oh, so it's not like years ago, yeah. but it's not like 40 years. 20 ago years ago. Tw- isn't it 20 years ago? It Aren't is 20 years ago. I'm yeah. just aghast that it was. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a curious piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, yeah. There's lots of good funny yeah. moments in it. Yeah. But there's lots of moments. In <laughs> um, yeah, there there are a lot of moments where it's just like the, the the theater didn't laugh and a few people laughed. But but it had but they definitely had their laughing moments in the second half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. So it's yeah. appropriately named comic potential. Yeah. <laughs> That's the risk, right? <laughs> you know. <laughs> totally. totally. Um, <laughs> Yeah. On that note, anything yeah. else you want to say about competition, Brianna? Um, I mean, everyone's just doing. You'd mentioned the set. I really like Lee Anthony's set. Yeah. Uh, the design package, of course, like you said, for Phoenix is fantastic. I swear, I heard people like gasp a bit when when the second half, when like yeah. the giant hotel doors came yeah. down. So it's built the 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 look of it. Just really quickly, the look of it looks like uh, the holodeck in Next Generation. And seriously, it's laid out on a grid work like that, and it plays mm-hmm. with forced perspective. Mm-hmm. And then they do some really clever things with the back wall, where the back door oh, yeah, just shrinks. looks yeah, well, it just looks like a great big window. But then over the course of the show, they use drape, cleverly angled drapes at different shapes and sizes to change the perspective of it and throw oh, some different really color cool. on it. It's really cool what yeah. they do with a limited space, and mm-hmm. the, the set yeah. changes were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, just small pieces rolling in and out. And, uh, you know, halftime in the show, I was like, so is this going to be a show within a show kind of a thing where we're actually watching this whole thing as a show, you know? And it had that feel because of the way the set mm. worked. Oh, yeah, there's also, like, a lot of, like, multiple action going on. Like, actoids would freeze in the background, and then people would just carry on at the, in the, on the front of the stage, and then JC would be in the background just kind of looking around. So it was always fun to just kind of keep an eye on everything, see, yeah. like, oh, what's going on? There, yeah. there are layers to that it. That was pretty clever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Comic Potential runs to February 22nd at the Phoenix. And Sarah, you went and saw the new Inconu show that everyone's raving about. Yeah, the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime at Theater Inconu. Um, If it sounds familiar, that's because it is based on a best-selling novel um, by British novelist Mark Haddon um, from the early 2000s and has been adapted for the stage by Simon Stevens and uh, Theater in Canoe, um, it, for Theater in Canoe it's directed by Kate Rubin. Um, so first thing, I'm always, so Theater in Canoe, it does start at eight. I haven't got the memo. I haven't got the memo. But I think, yeah, there's, there's some great 
restaurants in Fernwood, so that's probably why. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. And this show is brought to you by the restaurants of Fernwood. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I go, I'm always like shocked and impressed that it's $14 a ticket. Mm-hmm. And, right. uh, oh, that which, is impressive. Yeah, which I think is really great. You know, I know that some theaters have to charge what you know what they do because they pay people and things like that. But but it is just a great option, and there's always good good shows and uh yeah I was, i'm always impressed by that and then if you buy all their season passes you get a deal too so anyways plug for theater and canoe this show is brought to you tonight by yeah. <laughs> 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 um yeah so um also uh the staging is really interesting it's just sort of a large in a large room their space there in fernwood so this is done in a kind of a theater in the rectangle theater in the <laughs> and and so which is great. There's no real stage. It's just the, the open space. And um, and then every seat's good because you're, you're right there, right? You're either in the first, second, or sometimes third row. Um, and then the space and the actors are right there, too. They just sit, that sit in chairs when they're not on stage. So they're just off stage. So, so it feels very intimate, and, and I really like that. I like theater experiences to be full-on experiences, and mm-hmm. you can't help but pay attention when, there's, um, when they're right in front of you. So this was a big show. Like It won five Tony Awards when it debuted on yeah. Broadway. Um, how does it work with a local company? Kate Rubin back on stage here directing it. Yeah, I think that um, they've done really well with it. Um, basically, I think it's an eight-person cast, and have, in a minimal setting, really use movement to create some unique kind of settings and to, and to create the atmosphere of the stage. Um, you know, moving together to become like a, a rocket ship or, and sort of portraying scenes and all different characters. So I'll just go back a bit and, and tell you a little bit about the plot. So the plot is um, about a young boy, uh, Christopher, He's a teenager, Christopher Boone, and he comes across uh, his neighbor's dead dog on the front lawn. And from there, uh, he unravels sort of a, a Sherlock Holmes type mystery in which he wants to figure out who killed the dog. And Christopher has um, characteristics of someone on the autism spectrum. He so he doesn't. They don't actually explicitly say it in the show. And I went to look it up after because in the um, in the program notes that you know there's some discussion about autism and Asperger's. But um, I think at the time that the book was written, there wasn't as much public understanding or, or recognition. So now we have a bit more language to talk about it. So it's not explicitly said. But from the characteristics that he displays or some of his behavior that he has, um, he's very focused on detail. He has difficulty with um, being touched um, and sensory kind of overloads. And he answers things very literally and responds to things quite literally. Like he never lies. He's incapable of lying. Um, but he does face some challenges with, with emotional situations and so this whole play, which starts with a trauma of a dog dying, which then goes into his own parents' relationship falling apart and betrayal and, um, and disappointment and even him having to get out of his comfort zone to go take a little trip, um, is all done through this lens of having, of, um, you know, being on the autism spectrum. And, um, and he's, he's a magical kid, which I think is a great message. He's very talented. He's incredible at math. He's quite funny, 
and um, and the role is played by a um, 17 year old um, actor named Finn Kelly who it's a huge role like mm. he talks the entire time it's two and a half hours um, and he he's talking or moving and reacting the entire time and it and it's um, he's incredible in it and and so kudos to him because uh, it is a really big role and how often do you see a teenager in a lead like that? Mm-hmm. Like I find Inconu has always been really good at finding these really talented people that you've never seen on stage before. Yeah. And you're like, who is this person? And like, there's some really great performers that the first time I saw them on stage was in Kanu. Well, and Kate Rubin, like she's yeah. made a career on working with young actors. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. So yeah. if anybody yeah. knows how to work with a young actor yeah. and get a stellar performance, right. I mean, yeah. it would be Kate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the cast, really for it to work, like you'd asked about a community theater doing such a, you know, that's a pretty big thing to take on. Sure it is. They really gel well together and um, have and move well together. And I think that's what really brings out uh, the heart of this play. It could easily have fallen apart. They could have tried to do fancy bells and whistles to make it seem great, but it it, it has to gel. Mm-hmm. And um, and so even though there's some really heavy subject matter in the show, there are some lighter magical moments. And my favorite scene was at the end. I won't give away. It's not giving away a plot point, but to say that it is uh, a brilliant scene about solving a math problem. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was really impressed. I thought it was great, and um, I think lots of people are going to go. The movement you referenced that Ingrid Hansen consulted on that, didn't Yeah, you? yeah. Oh, oh, so, um, yeah, yeah, Ingrid Hansen. Um, and who else is in the cast? Yeah, so um, so it's funny because people play so many roles. So Ian Case, we all know Ian Case, Um and he was, he was incredible in, in some very funny roles, playing all sorts of different things, definitely as a police officer, for sure, British <laughs> police officer. I could see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Bronwyn Churcher, as, um, her main role is as Mrs. Shears, a uh, neighbor. Um, Jenny Luther, um, oh, Judy, sure. yeah. and a woman on the train, part of the ensemble. Um, Fiona St. Clair, <laughs> and um, Stuart Wright, <laughs> Um, also playing multiple roles. And then Wayne Yurcha played just one role, Ed, and um, he's the only one of the other actors um, uh, in, uh, in addition to Finn Kelly, and he played the father. And then um, Lorene Camiare um, played Siobhan. So, yeah, great. Yeah, so, yeah, excellent show. And um, I think, I'm guessing it's word's going to spread and mm-hmm. it might sell out, so get your tickets. But... Uh, yeah. I'm going this week to see it. So Are you? Okay, cool. Out. Well, yeah, we'll we'll see what. Yeah, what the buzz is already really, really positive. So. It runs till the end of the month. Uh, it runs till the 29th of February. Yeah. Is it a oh. leap year? It is. It is. <laughs> sure is. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome Amazing. to 2020. So just to recap, we have three plays currently on, all of which run two and a half hours. <laughs> so yeah. if anyone's looking for a long night in theater, no, you have kid- to choose from. Which is so weird, because I feel like last year it was all about the 70-minute, 90-minute show. Yeah. Oh, give me the 90-minute show. Yeah. Did people complain or something and be like, I want more play for my dollars? <laughs> <laughs> more bang for my $14 at income. Um... So, and the other thing that's just wrapping up right now is Outstages has been running at uh, Interrupt Theatres, been hosting their annual Queer Theatre Festival for the last couple of weeks. And uh, between Brianna and Melanie, you guys saw a number of the shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just saw one. I saw Where the Two-Spirit Lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in a nutshell, it was basically a drag show 
about how the performer, uh, Martian Vio, I want to say, I'm, I'm never good at reading and pronouncing names out loud, but it was basically his story about he, how he both um, got into drag and how he became comfortable with drag. Hmm. Because it's, um, because, um, this is actually my first drag show. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I've, I've never been to a drag show. <laughs> wow. So I was going to say, was it a typical drag? <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Well, it was just like, I've, I will admit, I've never seen RuPaul's Drag Race. I've heard about it. So I get the general gist where it's just like, you dress up and you lip sync. There's definitely that in there. But it's very much more of a discussion about, say, like, where Marshall discusses, hey, I'm, I'm a person of color. I'm queer. I'm femme. I'm fat. And I don't neatly fit into any of those places. Mm-hmm. So it kind of turned into the discussion through, like, some, some choice songs. Like, um, what's that one song from Gypsy where it's Mama Rose saying, like, now it's my turn? Mm. If you've heard of it? I do. Yeah. Uh, I can't bring this song to mind, but I know the one you Like that. You know, I feel so pretty and witty. Yeah, um, I went with my aunt, and I, I caught her like singing along. To that. <laughs> but it's like a discussion where it's just like, and, and a very uncomfortable moment in a gay bar where he discusses someone saying like, "Hey, who, who brought Pocahontas here?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just like trying to find yourself in a place that doesn't want you, mm-hmm. despite being yourself. Mm-hmm. And it was it was really, it was really touching, and he really did the whole monologues and the dancing thing well and the the crowd i was with really got into it and it was yeah it was really well done oh excellent yeah. mm-hmm. great i went to the queer you showcase uh which was two hours of uh young local uh performers uh full disclosure my 16 year old son was one of them uh, <laughs> but some of the fantastic stuff there talk about some drag some super fun drag oh, i and, think this is an um, hour and a half Oh, that was that one. Yeah, yeah. Nice. where the spirit, where the two spirit lives. Sorry. Right. No, no, that's fine. Interrupting. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the stuff I saw there too was, you know, sort of traditional drag, but then very non-traditional drag mm-hmm. as well as spoken word. And it was just great seeing young people having the confidence to get up on stage mm-hmm. and do what they want to do and get applauded for it. It was pretty mm-hmm. fantastic to see. And yeah, drag and cabaret, as, as has been spoken about, was the theme for the whole festival this year. Um, the I think the electric and underground is maybe how uh, the curator Sean Guest was billing it. Um, so what I saw as well was had some had a lot of drag themes for sure. Um, Pearl Harbor was brought back this year. If you saw her two years ago with Chautauqua, um, she totally won won the city over with that performance and so she was brought back this year with her new show agit pop and has anyone else seen her around so she's um if you've seen red bastard mm-hmm. she's like a toned down version of a nasty oh, clown a little okay bit. <laughs> not and i don't know if um if she identifies as clown so much as buffoon mm-hmm. um where she is this lovely slightly vicious um, retro glam um, vessel if you will for some self-examination in this show in particular the kind of times that we're living in in the last five years and where we are with environmental degradation and xenophobia and and the environment in north america and around the world and her being kind of cheeky and and unafraid of um, ugly truths and identifying with them herself to push their push her audience to do the same, but does it all in singing cabaret and like amazing, um, very clever pop arrangements that music director Tego Mago, um, also known as Stephen Baldwin or sorry Stephen Conway, um, who's put together. She kind of the show doesn't have a, it hasn't been dramaturged, and has doesn't have a. Uh, 
narrative thread, so to speak, but has these kind of segs into um, really cute pop arrangements mm -hmm. uh, from uh, anecdotes that, that lead into them. So one, for example, she turned uh, Roy Orbison's You've Got It into a like, very sharp critique of consumerism and, <laughs> and whatnot. So there's gentle audience participation for sure. Weirdly, the show I was at, the audience was not there to play at all. And I know, you know, outstages audiences are usually yeah. really, you know, vibrant and up for the, the participation or whatnot. But awesome. if, if Pearl mm. comes back, don't don't miss her. Mm. Um, she is, she's a lot of fun. Um, the one other piece that I'll highlight, um, although the, the whole festival was fantastic, was the local um, Eat Your Heart Out Cabaret, which mm. is a, a um, profile or kind of platform for queer identifying performers from all different um, practices to get together and um, put on a show. It happens twice a year, actually, but always as part of Outstages. And this year it was on Valentine's Day and um, uh, co-produced with the Riot Girls um, review and uh, one of our favorites around the table, the Salty Broads, mm. the Saltines, the Girl, girl Per hey. Girls. <laughs> um, and it was incredible. They had There was a Backstreet Boys, Britney mashup that, that the world needed. Um, anyways, it was just so nice to um, be able to to participate in this really beautiful, campy celebration of queer oh. love. And um, yeah, it, it look for another cabaret in December if you missed this one. It um, it is an annual, always sell out, uh, wonderful celebration uh yeah and then also the darlings came in from vancouver and like orpheus the dance piece was happening there too so it seemed like a pretty great festival this year for the yeah, range yeah. of work mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and if you missed the the outstages uh festival but are still interested in um seeing some queer centered content uh the book of my shames which john you have seen yeah i saw the workshop of that last year i really enjoyed it uh, Isaiah Bell, uh, one-time local tenor, now based in Toronto, uh, sort of very autobiographical show, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, just uh, pretty fascinating. Certainly for anyone who likes a, an operatic theatrical crossover, it's uh, it's like the kind of show you would see at Uno for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's where it's coming. So April what a 30th. segue! <laughs> April thirtieth, May first, I think, in very small, limited performance, and he sold it out at Toronto Pride last year after the workshop that he did in Victoria. So yeah. it will be Good a hot ticket and it's another opportunity to see queer centered art in right. Victoria. And that's directed by Sean Guest from I was gonna uh, say, there's a yeah, there's a local so. connection there yeah, too. Yeah. Super. Um, um, gotta get those local connections. <laughs> yeah, and Amanda, you went to uh, Kid Pivot's latest show. Yeah, ju just briefly, I thought I'd mention it because it's kind of a kind of a big deal. Speaking of local connections, uh, it was earlier in the month, but um, Kid Pivot Crystal Pites Company uh, they brought their latest reviser back to the Royal Dance Victoria, uh, which uh, was one of the companies that uh, co-produced the show. Uh, they brought it back. They brought it to the Royal. Um, February 7th and 8th um, and I uh, just wanted to chat about it because it was incredible it was such an amazing piece of dance theater um, a lot of people saw Betrovenheit when it was in here a couple of years ago which uh, was also a piece that Kid Pivot did with uh, Jonathan Young from Electric Company Theater it was uh, more of an autobiographical piece about um, Jonathan's loss of his daughter and the effects that had on him and um, this one was a lot less of a trauma rooted piece this one is uh, based on 
uh, Gogol's play, The Inspector General, which is the farce about mistaken identity, mm. um, which actually in the original Russian uh, is reviser. That's what that translates to. Oh, oh, so he oh, wanted clever. to do, he'd had this idea, I guess, kicking around in his head for a while to do this, um, to do a kind of a, a work based on this play, even though he had never read it or seen it. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is hilarious. Uh, I, um, I heard about it from a friend, from a friend, from a friend, from a friend on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how it, how it started was that he, he wrote the piece uh, It's as a five-act piece. They recorded it with some voice actors, and then they started choreographing it hmm. uh, to this recording and then, uh, so the first half is just kind of more of a straight up choreographed piece uh, to the recording. And then partway through, they break it open and it turns into this totally different work. And you're just kind of like, you're, it just blows your mind, which is not surprising given, mm-hmm. given the work. And some of the stuff that they do particularly, like the movement, of course, is incredible. Um, these these dancers can just move in ways that you're like they just have these totally different languages of body right. movement that you uh, that they can shift between that blows my mind and some of the stuff that they did with the lighting in the show mm-hmm. was just unreal. Well, Electric Company, anything to do with Electric Company has always had amazing lighting and projections and graphics. Work. Well, I uh, I was there with uh, my friend who is who does like the stage management for for uh, Dance Victoria and she said that they didn't I thought they used projections but she said it was all done with lights. Wow. So, um anyway, it was incredible and I I wanted to mention it specifically because I liked it better than Betrovenheit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and because and uh, which I might catch some flack for because people love that show so much, but it just it felt like I don't know. It was I just felt a little beaten up by that show. I know right? that you walked <laughs> out of that show just like totally. It was a bit yeah. It was, it was and that's an interesting thing about dance, especially mm-hmm. modern dance, is that it's it's the body talking mm-hmm. and the body reacts and and you can't always articulate in your words or your mind why you had an emotional mm-hmm. reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And that was one that really got me. Well, that was, I mean, that was... Thinking was... of loss and childhood, you know, losing oh, a child. I mean, what, and... it's such an awful story. And um, and this one, like, there are some heavy things that are dealt with in this show, for sure, because, you know, it talks a lot about corruption and some pretty awful stuff. But it's also very funny in parts. and mm-hmm. But it just, I just felt like it was a better show mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and it's just it was kind of refreshing to see a piece of theater that wasn't so rooted in like just utter personal tragedy mm-hmm. um that yeah I really loved it um it's on its way it, I think it had one more stop in Canada than was off to Europe and I'm sure it'll be an international success again but maybe not as big as Betrothed Hype because I think we're kind of obsessed with those like really tragic stories mm-hmm as a like culturally I think we are but uh, yeah. anyway it was excellent and it was really cool to see uh dance Victoria have a part to play in cre- creating this work mm-hmm. and bringing it to life so was it just ballet uh no it was modern dance but oh. it was it was more I'd say it was more dance theater because there was the spoken word part and mm-hmm. um yeah it was definitely more theat like very mm-hmm. theatrical mm-hmm. for sure <laughs> I'm not a dance person. Like I'm, yeah. I'm more of a theater person. But I could definitely like you can get a lot out of 
this company's pieces as a as a theater person yeah. i would say yeah i would say arguably kid pivot almost all of their shows have a, a very strong narrative through line yeah. to mm-hmm. them whereas uh you know a lot of dance that we see presented is is dance pieces yeah and they aren't trying for that yeah you know storyline to follow mm-hmm. yeah there's definitely a very strong story in this how big was the company this one? I think there were like nine okay. dancers. Let me, yeah, something like that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I think. Yeah. So. So bigger show. Yeah, it was pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anyway. Great. great. Cool. It was great. Yeah. Excellent. Well, moving on to some arts news. Um, if any of our listeners follow the Theater Victoria Facebook page, we had an interesting discussion um, about a recent article in the Globe and Mail um, about artists, artists of color, sometimes called, known as Black Indigenous people of color. If you hear the term BIPOC, we use it sometimes. Uh, namely, an uh, artist, uh, Yolanda Bell, an Anishinaabe and South Asian uh, playwright and actor um, who, for her show Bug, put out um, an interesting statement that was the subject of this column. Um, she said there is an aspect to cultural work, or in our case, artistic ceremony, which does not align with current colonial reviewing practices. In order to encourage a deeper discussion of the work, we are inviting critiques or thoughts from um, I be Pac, um, Indigenous, Black, or People of Color, folks only. Um, so she didn't ban anyone from coming to her show or, or writing about her show, but um, did put out the invitation, namely to to invite um, more more BIPOC folks to, to come and review her shows. And it's, yeah, it's something that we discuss, falls in line with something we discuss often in our group. Um, mm-hmm and um and hope to discuss more and it was interesting to to see the other thoughts from from different artists and reviewers on that and different reactions so yeah what do you guys think yeah i mean i know we've been talking about it a bit as a group uh kind of offline and with other folks and um i think it uh it's important and it's a very good point and i mean it's i mean we're a bunch of white people sitting around this table talking Mm -hmm. about art often Mm -hmm. art created by bipoc people and yeah i think the discussion has led us to want to open up the table right like we want to invite some other folks to join in our discussions and bring their views to the table so yeah yeah, so um, this is an official call out to to folks who self-identify uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color um, who would like to join our podcast. Um, you don't have to have experience; you can or not. Um, we're happy to help out or mentor, but yeah, we want to open the space, open the table, and um, and talk arts and theater and, really, and <laughs> as part of a process of our learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's something that we also, yeah, we chatted about just being explicit that we are anti-racist and we want to um, support uh, anti-racist work in our in our in the way we do our work, but in the arts community, and um, that's not just a statement; it's like a commitment and a process, and it takes work, and um, and that's something I think we all feel 
pretty powerful about. So yeah, it'll, it'll be a, a process. Mm-hmm. So, but we would really like to hear from folks and we like to welcome people in. And so please get in touch. Um, Facebook, Twitter, email, check the program, yyj at gmail.com. Um, yeah, all different ways. So it's, it's an interesting discussion to have right now. And um, we've got a show that's coming to town shortly that has uh, expressed uh, interest in not having any men reviewing it. Am I correct in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. It's part of Spark, right? Yeah. And I think that's that's interesting uh, that we're hearing this now because the other thing we're hearing all the time for the last few years is, eh, who cares about reviews anyways? Yeah. And the mainstream media is cutting reviewers left, right, and center. Most of us at this table, as an example. Um, so it's interesting that there's now talk about you know having different voices at the reviewing table. Uh, at the same time, people are saying, "Well, what's the point of having reviews at all?" So, yeah, yeah, it's an it's interesting in that sense too because. Um, I think probably one of the reasons that people are putting the the challenge out is that they don't have, you know, really, they don't have as much to lose from not having a reviewer there Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. there really aren't a lot of reviewers to go to anything Mm -hmm. anyway. So you might as well invite the people you want there anyway. But even just Mm -hmm. making that statement really um, puts it on the um, viewer and the audience to really consider what their lens that they're Mm -hmm. viewing things Mm -hmm. from. So I don't know. I think it's important work. Yeah, yeah, agreed. agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, for local context, uh, Bug came into Uno last year, two years ago, I believe. Two years ago, yeah, twenty eighteen. I think we reviewed it then, so I don't know if the show has carried on and changed since then or not. But uh, it certainly would be interesting uh, to have a BIPOC reviewer look at the show now and compare it to what we said about it a couple of years ago. I think that'd be fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for right. sure. Yeah. Well, so, great. what are people seeing coming up? Uh, I guess speaking of Spark, Spark is coming up. Pretty mm-hmm. quick, like faster than I. It's almost March. March. Yeah. Like, I know. Oh my God. <laughs> I am okay. So it's already. It's only February, and it's only February. <laughs> yeah. I guess. I guess Spark is like almost a month away. Yeah. But, but we we probably won't get together again before it starts. Yeah. But I'm really excited about Spark because. There's a show about the Yukon in Spark this yeah. year, everybody. Northern voices. I know. Busted up Yukon story. If just in case people don't know, I am from the Yukon. I'm wearing my Yukon hoodie right now. <laughs> so uh, I'm very excited about Busted Up Yukon story, um, which is Genevieve Doyen, Jessica Hickman, and Brooke Maxwell does. Oh, really? Oh, great. Those are some of the creators from um, the Fringe show, the Animal Masks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Help oh, me with that. Oh. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the safari, not safari, yes. the, uh, why am I blanking? Anyway. And are you expecting oh, that show to feel like home a little that. bit? Um, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. It's a verbatim theater project. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Ooh, we'll like see. That. We'll see. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I know that they, like, I, I think that, uh, like, uh, Genevieve is from there. And I think that, um, like Jessica spent a bunch of time up there and I, a lot of the interviews that they it sounds mm-hmm. like the interviews they gathered are from people up there so yeah i'm hoping so yeah i have i have high expectations also coming into spark is uh laura ann harris's destiny usa uh, which i saw at the fringe last oh, year yeah. and if people are interested you can dig back in the fringe and find my review of that i thought it was very good mm-hmm. a really fascinating show laura ann harris used to live here in victoria mm-hmm. as well 
Uh, so fascinating little piece for her. First show I ever reviewed actually was her Pitch Blonde at the Fringe a million years ago. Aww, that's cute. Um, Chop Theater's Kismet, Things Have Changed, is coming back. Uh, we first saw this one here about 10 years ago, and then uh, now this is sort of the next step in it. So that'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, Sparks always got some great stuff as well as the mini plays, which showcase local people. I haven't been able to get into a mini play in like five mini play years. strategy. Sometimes so many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, yeah, last year there was like some that had two or three people in them. Uh, you got to get there early for the mini plays so and stay for the chit chat. Prior to Spark, um, we've, we are going to some stuff. I'm going to Pacific Opera Victoria's Flight next week, which should be interesting. Oh, yeah. And then hoping to get to Kaleidoscope's The House at Pooh Corner with my four-year-old. So we'll get a little Nova review on that one, hopefully. And uh, what else is coming up? Well, just, for um, Oh, sorry, go ahead, John. Well, I was just going to say before we move past flight, uh, just so people know, it's Morris Panich and uh, Ken mm-hmm. McDonald, longtime team, uh, are presenting that one. So uh, Morris has a great history of presenting um, dramatic stories with a comedic twist. So it'll be interesting to see what, what happens with flight. But I we ahead. reference oh no it's no problem we reference verbatim theater with the busted up yukon story that's also the setup for god's lake mm-hmm. which intrepid theater is bringing in um as uh i think part of a workshop ahead of a national tour um uh all indigenous performers many from god's lake um difficult subject matter of mm-hmm. course uh, around missing and murdered indigenous women incredibly powerful um it's directed by Britt small hmm. locally um francesca Albright um is the uh creator uh and it's a verbatim piece with testimony from uh the people around god's lake when a young woman goes missing so hmm. it's sure to be very very powerful um, the workshop well here last year was it? It did, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I saw some early rehearsals of it. it really and yeah. toured, really came back in its new incarnation okay. ahead of a, a larger um, tour again, and that's February twenty eighth and 29th at the Metro. Great, great. Uh, and then next week I'm going, or a couple of weeks I'm going off to Vancouver to see the Broadway tour of Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, uh, nice. So I'm quite looking forward to that. Cool. Musical theater know, nerd. Total musical theater nerd. <laughs> totally. I assume you can sing along to every song. Pretty much. Yeah. I'll have to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it. it. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, well thanks for listening, everybody. Um, if you want to get in touch... Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, check the program. Uh, our email address is checktheprogramyyj at gmail.com. Um, if you're listening to us on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, uh, you can catch past episodes of the show on anchor.fm slash check-the-program or uh, pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts. You can find us on Check the Program. Um, so until next time, I'm Amanda Farrell-Lowe. I'm Brianna Bach. I'm John Thrubble. I'm Sarah Petrescu. And I'm Melanie Trump-Hoover. And don't forget to check the program. The Greatest Show. The Greatest Show you know. The Program. Check the Program. Check the Program. It's called Check the Program. Check the Program. Yeah. Check the Program. Greatest Show that you know. Check the Program. Check the Program. Check the Program. Yeah.